the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. They don't only preach it, they will defend it no matter the cost, and they will hold their communicators up to that sound doctrine that's being taught. So when you're teaching, you're teaching the Apostles' Doctrine, which is the Old Testament, which was written, which would be the words of Christ that they heard or the oral teachings of Christ until it was recorded in the canon of Scripture. They were going to be teaching God's Word, and you would know it. Not a point here and a point there like an old Texas steer with a lot of bull in between. It was going to be the pure teaching of God's word. So you want to go to a church that would do that. Go now to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Remember now, Peter, who's now saying this to the crowd of Christians, you want to make sure that you're listening to the words of the apostles and where they got them. Now, Timothy cranks it up a notch, and he's not just speaking to those who are just Christians. Now he is equipping the next generation leaders who will be the ones who will speak the message. So you have the apostles, now you're having, having a battery of pastor teachers and that pastor teacher tradition goes back 2,000 years at least for the New Testament church time. And here's what he says to Timothy. And what a great word he gave to Timothy in chapter 4. And I want you to look in verse 1 as we go through this little passage because it is so rich in what he had to say to them. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. Follow along if you will. Paul now says to Timothy, Paul's deathbed declaration, the last letter he wrote that's in holy writ before he too was martyred. I solemnly charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, that means I'm telling you this and the Lord is listening, who is the Lord to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. And he tells them what to do, verse 2. Preach the word. So he says, I'm telling you this, the Lord is going to judge us, going to judge all of us, and I want you to know, this is your command, preach the word of God. And then if you go a little bit further, it says, be ready in season and out of season. Now here in the island, they have certain seasons for certain fish you can catch. On the mainland, they have certain seasons for deer that you can shoot or whatever they do to deer to get deer. But the word of God has no season. In fact, in my margin, I wrote, it's always open season to preach the word of God. So he says, preach the word. But go on. Drop down to verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You may, if you want to, scratch out the word will and put the word has come. Now, I don't want to do, do despite to the word of God, but I believe we are living in a day when the word of God is going forth, but it's not done with good, sound study, and the doctrine isn't accurate consistently. But what do they do? The people want to have their ears tickled. So they will accumulate for themselves teachers, sure, in accordance to their own desires. So what they do now, they pick out the kind of people they want to listen to. They'll pick out the style. They'll pick out what kind of communication techniques they're going to use. They'll pick out the ones they've already agreed on the doctrine. Or they'll pick out guys 
and maybe some gals, that will not communicate any of the hard truths of Scripture, but all the love God, hate Satan, let's all go home and sing Kumbaya or something. And he says, that's what the world is coming to. And most of you that have been around Christianity long enough probably know that it seems like there is a tsunami of this coming on today. All you've got to do is turn to not one, not two, but multiple Christian radio stations right here on our own island. And you just listen to them all day long on one and all day long on the other. You're going to find so much contradiction. No wonder the world looks at us and say they don't have their act together, even in their thinking, their theology. And so it's important to be able to do this. Now let me add this. When you're going to a particular church and you're selecting them, the first thing is, is, yeah, you could look at the cleanliness of the nursery and if they've uh, done all the stuff in the bathrooms and if there's a lot of nice people in the lanai laughing and talking and getting along with one another. All that is important. But I'm finding now that um, those things often are a byproduct of what is accurately done from the, from the pulpit. Now, I'm going to be careful on that. Some people want to pick out churches. Are they informal? Are they not formal? Do they wear ties? Do they wear aloha shirts? Or what they've got in their music and whether they use drama or PowerPoints or none or however they do that. I guess now that I've been on the radio here for a number of years but been on the radio since 1980, literally, I know it's a long time, I am finding that so many people have been attracted to the Word of God as it's being taught. I know they're not attracted to me and my style. I don't have a lot of jokes, and when I do, they fall flat. I don't always have a lot of illustrations, and I'm not very funny. I'm really passionate, I will say that. And sometimes I do preach long, and I do say that unapologetically. But here's the thing. When they are drawn to this, they're not drawn to me. I believe, more than anything, they are drawn to the Word of God. They don't know what I'm wearing. They don't know what kind of music we have here. All they said is, I heard that guy on the radio and I want to learn the word of God. There is so much meat coming out of him that I can know and learn to apply to my life. I want to be there. So it doesn't matter about all this stuff. Recently, I was over at Costco. I had um, an unusual, I think, compliment paid me. I don't even know what it was. My voice is, um, it, it is what it is. And I've been eating at restaurants and people will tap me on the shoulder and say, I know your voice. You're the guy and make it clear on the radio. I hear you all the time. Oh, thank you very much. I'm glad I wasn't arguing with my wife in public, that kind of thing, you know. I've had times when they'd say to me, oh, you're older than you sound. I get that more now. <laughs> you're younger. But the last one I got was at Costco three weeks ago. I will never forget this. I'm checking out at Costco, Waikai, and the lady says, Stan Pons, you're on the radio. I listen to you. I listen to... I kn- you're a lot lighter than I thought you were. I've never had that happen before. I have never had that happen. So I don't know. You draw your own conclusions. But let's get past all that humor, and let's get back to the bottom line. When they were building this church, they weren't building a building. And I'm glad we had so many people here doing the landscaping yesterday, cleaning out the kitchen, setting things up here with lights. Our building is so much better than it was eight years ago. It's dramatically different. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so glad that there's no drama and schisms and fights in here. I'm glad we're trying to do the best we can with the music that we have, but it doesn't really matter. It's on our heart and we love him. I'm grateful for what our teens are learning and how they want to be passionate about the Lord and our children learning deeper stuff in Sunday. I'm grateful for all of that. But at the real bottom line, they had nothing. In fact, when this church was planted, it was planted in an incredibly hostile environment of culture that was so diametrically opposed to Jesus Christ that those who were alive were still alive that killed Christ. And although I know that Christ gave up his life, that's the environment this church was planted. And it exploded. So my question is, what did they have that many of our churches around the world 
don't have today. And it could be the apostles' teachings, doctrines, that's not going forth in such a way where people could learn. Now, there's more I could say about that, but if you'll notice, it said that they continually devoted themselves in this, and I put a lot of my weight on the teaching part. Now I want to let you know that there are those that can communicate till their heart falls out. They can communicate until they're hoarse. They can pray until their knees bleed. They can do all that they can passionately with the accurate word of God. But that does not guarantee that those who will listen will automatically get saved, baptized, homogenized, and all the rest of the stuff. You can look through scripture. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Isaiah, preaching his heart out. You look at those people. And even Timothy left his church to go outside in the midst of a mob where his church people were wanting to join that mob riot and go back to their old ways. And they killed him on the steps. So I'm going to tell you, it can happen. So part of the responsibility, obviously, has got to come down from the pulpit. But the other part of it has got to be people that say, I want God's word. Go back to verse 41 of chapter 2 again. This is a key word in here. It says here, and those who had received his word. That is a rich phrase. Those who have received his word. Those are the ones that got saved. Now look up here for just a moment. Because while this is now a church that chose to receive the word, then they devoted themselves to the word. So I think the first step is you have to be wanting to receive the word in order for the word to come into you and therefore then you can devote yourself. So that's the key thing, receiving the word. Now, I want you to hold your place here and I want you to go in the same book, Acts, and I'd like you to flip back to chapter 17, Acts chapter 17. And while you're turning there, I want you to know that once this New Testament church was planted and they lived out, and it was interesting, listen now while you're turning, They lived out the five principles that I'm teaching you, but they did it without any clear instructions that you and I are getting today. No one there said, this is the five things you need to do as a church. This is what was a normal byproduct of those who received the word. They just did this kind of stuff. And the Lord then says, you did it, I permitted it, I prescribed it, and now I put it into holy writ for millions of Christians to follow. And he weeps for those who don't. But look here at Acts chapter 17, because now the church is starting to pick up steam. The church has been planted in Thessalonica. Now it's moving over to a place called Berea here. The Thessalonian Christians had a harder time with it. The Berean Christians had a little less harder time with it. And I want you to follow along in verses 10 through verse 12, because you're going to see how that the Berean church did very much like the New Testament Jerusalem church, which is the first church, all right, that did it. Verse 10. It says, the brethren immediately from Thessalonica sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when Paul and Silas arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. I think that's kind of interesting. First place they go, they go to the people who are the Jews. Probably because they knew a little bit more about Lord Jehovah, a little bit more about God, where the Jews were, where the Gentiles were so far out, they had to really kind of go back to square one with them. But let's get on with the passage. Verse 11 says, now these were more noble-minded. Now, who are the these? I believe they say, well, the Bereans were. I don't think so. I think the Bereans who were in the synagogue were the ones who were more noble-minded. Now, noble-minded doesn't mean that they were rich and wealthy and noble. 
The word noble, actually, that word actually uh, transitioned into other meanings, but it came from a root to say that they cared about, they wanted to do things for, they, they leaned into. So a noble person would see a poor person, they'd lean into the poor person, they would share with the poor person, they would want to connect to the poor person. So that word then came into being when they had the word given to them, they leaned into it, they wanted to know it, they wanted to receive it, they were taking it into their lives, they were noble about the word. I would like to say there was even an ignorant respect for it, you might say. That's my thoughts. Then it says, then those, then those in Thessalonica. Now, here are the three things that they did, and you can jot down some of your own notes. It's very simple. What did they do? First of all, you need to know before I give you point number one, I don't even believe they were saved. Now, I don't want to shock you. Just listen to me for a moment. I don't believe they were saved yet. Now, let's go on. So what did these unsaved, noble-minded Bereans do that were Jews? They received the word with great eagerness. So you could put down number one. They received the word. That's pretty simple. It's already in your text there. They received it. But it said they received it with eagerness. In other words, they came leaning into it. They wanted to know it. It could have been just a, a, a curiosity. Oh, Paul's here. Silas here. We kind of heard rumors about him. He goes to other synagogues. He's coming to our synagogue, you know. It could be that, hey, we want to hear what he has to say because he's a learned guy taught by a great famous rabbi. And so we want to learn from him. So whatever it was, they were eager to learn the word. I thought it was interesting. It wasn't eager to hear Paul. It was eager to go into the word. So if you don't mind me loving you, I'm going to wrap your arms around you like, like me. I, I, do you, are you eager to learn the word? Is it like, oh, no, I've got to go to church again? Oh, oh wait, oh, there's, a, there's a soccer game, there's a this thing, there's that thing. There's this. And all these are important because the Bible says we need to do all this other stuff. And we really aren't eager for the word. Okay, we've got to miss, but do we go back to the word? Do we get the CD? Do we listen? Are we faithful at our small groups? Are we faithful in our connection groups? Are we faithful when the word is taught? When we look at our schedule, we're just too busy, but there's a great seminar, but I'm too busy to go. So does that thing, X thing, trump learning the word? Are we eager for the word? Do we get up in the morning and say, good Lord, it's morning? Or is it good Lord, it's morning? You know, the kind of thing to get into the word of God. Is there that eagerness? I wonder if churches were that together, how eager they would be to learn. I taught in Bible college for a number of years. I taught day classes and I taught night classes. I by far would rather teach a night class. And let me tell you, that is not easy for me to teach because I'm a 4.30 in the morning rise guy. I'm a fall asleep, standing up, 9 o'clock at night guy. But why did I want to teach night school? Day school, most of the kids came to school because they had to go. They wanted to get their degree. They had a lot of extra other reasons. The night school students are those that had to work a job, they had to rear their families, they had to take care of life, but they wanted the word of God so badly that they carved out a time at the end of a busy day to sit in a classroom to hear a teacher who himself is running on gas. Fumes, I should say. Because they were eager to teach the word. I would much rather stay up with them all night because they were eager to receive the word. That's what these Bereans were like. That's why the church exploded in growth. But let's go a little bit further. It said they received the word. And by the way, one more thing about receiving. That word received is a similar word in the Bible that was used when, remember when some of you are new to the Bible, you don't know this, but there was a great Christian by the name of Stephen who didn't bow his knee to the culture. 
He bowed his knee to the Lord and they were going to stone him to death. And eventually he gave his cloak on over to Paul who was still unsaved as a Saul. And they stoned Stephen. And when he did, watch this, the Lord in heaven stood up. It's the only time in scripture that you're going to see. And the Lord was standing in heaven. Because we knew that when he died and he rose again, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And I'm going to tell you more about that on Resurrection Sunday. But he stood when Stephen got here. Here's the phrase. But he received Stephen. That's a word that's used in the Greek. He received him. Just like the Lord was anxiously ready to receive a martyr for the faith who was willing to die for the truth. These people were saying, I want to receive the word. But that wasn't enough. Just receiving it is like just hearing the word. Next, number two. They examined scriptures daily to see that these things were so. So they researched the word. That word is the word that's often used to go through evidence to look at the evidence and research the evidence. They would be the one that kind of pick it all apart to make sure that it all agrees with each other. So they were carefully looking at this. And I like the, uh, if you look at the word examining, I don't know what kind of translation you have, but mine says examining. I would like you to underline the last three letters of the word examining. Why? Because it was a progressive thing. They just didn't do it one time. They didn't do it just for a class. They didn't do it because they had homework. It was an examining the scriptures thing and then underline the word daily. Every single day. I don't think it said daily if it didn't mean daily. I believe that it's in Scripture. It really did happen. That, therefore, it is recorded in Scripture. These noble-minded Jewish Bereans who at that moment still weren't believers, I believe that they studied the Scriptures to see if it was so. So they asked it questions. Who, what, when, where, why, and how? And so they were looking at that scripture. I'm going to tell you, if you want to grow, this is how you do that. Get your right teachers in front of you, but at the same time, you go to the word. How important that it is. Let's go on. Let's see what the third thing they did. They received the word. They researched the word. Then verse 12 says, Therefore, as a result of the first two, receiving and researching, they responded to the word. It says, And many believed, along with a number of the prominent Greek women and men. It's interesting. It wasn't just for the the people that are so maybe simple-minded that would believe anything, it would be those that are the prominent ones that would really have to think through what they were going to believe. And they knew that, watch this, watch this, what they believed it in their prominence that they would be different because of what they believed and their prominence might have costed something, cost them something. So it's interesting to see what's happening here. But look back to the passage. It says many believed. It didn't say they all believed. It said many of them believed. I think that is so critical. Let me show you something right here. You all know what this is? It's not a helmet, I know, but it, it's, a, it's a, I guess they call it a strainer. And uh, for those of you that maybe strain pasta or you got boiled shrimp and you kind of put it in there and you kind of shake it all down to get all the liquid or the water or the juice out so you have something inside of this. Well, I'd like this for just a moment <clears throat> to represent the Bible, okay? And when I let it represent the Bible, <clears throat> it has holes in it, so it's a holy Bible. Not <laughs> just a joke, all right. <laughs> all right, so it's the Bible for a moment. What you want to do is you want to take... And you want to come to the teaching like this strainer, like the Word of God. And as you hear all these people give their isms and spasms to you, you don't want to, what they feed me, I will swallow. You want to take what they have to say with an eager heart because you want the Word of God so desperately. But it's not just eagerly to hear it only. It's eagerly to hear it so you can research it. And this becomes your research vessel, the Word of God. So now you take what you read, what you see, what you hear, and you run it through what I call the grid of Scripture. But the only way you can do that first is if you're in the Word. So you say, well, how about things if I don't know if it's true, man? 
How will I know sound doctrine if I don't know sound doctrine? You know what? That is a very good question. How do I know sound doctrine if I don't know sound doctrine? You know? Well, I don't mean to go off on a tangent, so here's what I will tell you. I have a position paper on how to know that your doctrine is sound, and I will take you through a voluminous amount of scriptural principles on how you can discern when your doctrine is sound. It won't teach you the doctrine in this. It's the grid to help you to be able to sift your doctrine through it. If you will, text me, write me. Better to write me than I can attach the document to my email to your uh, email as well. I'll be glad to send that to you that are listening on the radio or maybe on, on CD right now. Do the same. Just get it to me and I will send that to you. We taught it in our, our men's study lifeguards here, but you can have that. Again, it goes back to that important teaching. Let's now go back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Well, again, how important it is to have God's word in front of us. Oh, I tell you, God's word is so rich. I hope that you will be responding to the word, that you go to the word not for information. You don't go to the word for inspiration. Woo, feels good. I want you to go to the word of God for transformation, that it changes your life. Knowledge will puff up. Love of the Lord and one another demonstrably will build up. Okay, let's go back to the Word now, Acts chapter 2. We talked a lot about the Word. I could preach for hours and hours and hours on the importance of preaching and teaching and how to get it into your life, but I need to move on. So let's go to the next part of Acts chapter 2 when it says here, they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So you can kind of leave that and just say they continually devoted themselves to fellowship. To do that, you have to understand what fellowship is. Fellowship comes from a Greek word that means koinonia, it means having things in common. For those of you that are real simple and like it this way, I think fellowship is two fellows in the same ship going in the same direction. That's fellowship. Does that help you on that? So do that. There's a great book on doing life together by a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you can get his book, it's, a, it's not a thick book. It is a deep book, but it's probably the one that gives you the most insight on what does it mean to do life together in this koinonia. And what is so critical is the... Watch, this is so huge. The intimacy that we have with Christ because I am in him and he's in me because I trusted Christ as Savior. I've been born again. I am now part of him, all right? When you trust Christ as Savior, that means as I'm connected to him, I should be not just positionally connected to you, but I should be practically in a way that I am reaching out to touch you in a spiritual way. So I look at it this way. We are spiritually together. But we also need to be practically... I'm not talking about lip-to-lip and all that junk, okay? What I'm talking about is that when you hurt, I hurt. When you have a need, I have a need. When your kid gets honored, it's as if my kid gets honored. When you have some help that's needed, I'll be there for you. When you rejoice, I'm not, I'm not going to get jealous. I'm going to rejoice because we're all in this thing together. It's so funny how the churches have got to be that when your children's ministry goes on and you have a children's event at night, all the older people that don't have kids, well, I don't have to go, that's not for me, my kids aren't there. Your kids are there. They're just not your flesh kids. Every one of you need to be a part of that. And you young people that say, oh, the old folks are going to have all this kind of stuff, I don't need to be a part of that. Well, sometimes it is closed a little bit because they do that thing that they do for themselves. But when they have something special, you celebrate with them because we are family. Say, we are family. We are family. Now, when we do that, the whole world looks on this thing. And I, I tell you, I could preach for hours on this whole idea of the community of the redeemed. Write that in your margin. The community of the redeemed is not just a theological teaching or a truth. It is our very life. We are connected to each other by the very virtue of the blood of Christ when he died on the cross for us. We are born together. You're my brother. 
You're my sister in Christ. And so you women, I will treat like a sister purely. And you men to the women, they're your sisters. They're your brothers. And you treat them purely. So what are we going to do? We're going to engage our relationships. We're going to engage our relationships. Now to do that, you're going to have to see a couple of little phrases in this whole passage on the DNA of a healthy church. So look back at your Bible and I'll kind of get you through it, okay? Verse 42, it says, to have fellowship. We talked about that. Now if you will, go to verse 44 and it says, who had believed were together. Just underline or circle the phrase, were together. Fellowship, were together. Now go to verse 46. Day by day, continue with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together. Circle the word together. All right, so now you can draw a line from together in verse 44 to together in verse 46 and then draw a line up to fellowship because that's what fellowship is. It's doing life together. And that's all a great, important truth that we have for our lives, how critical that is. Now, folks, go very quickly, if you will, turn to Romans chapter 15. Because in order to do life together, it starts out with our mind. We have to think the same thing so we can speak the same things. We're going to look at Romans 15. Romans 15. And I want you to look at verse 5, 6, and 7. And while you're turning there, there are many good books out on what they call the one another principles. I urge you to go up to our library. We've got a tremendous 3,000 volume theological library up on the third floor. You go up there. Do a study on the one another principles. We pray for one another. We love one another. We serve one another. We accept one another. We rebuke one another. All the one another principles that brings us spiritual health that will then cause us to grow spiritually and numerically. Now look in verse 5, Romans 15, 5. It says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement, and I love that, in order for me to be encouraged and to give encouragement, to be persevering and to give perseverance, I have to receive it from the Lord. He says, We'll grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. So mark it in your Bible. Same mind with one another. We want to think the same thing. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.